0: Hurry up, people. We're losing the light. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene, their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general you should always consider your own situation remember your training and fly the airplane of course you knew that right because it's in the script okay places everybody lights quiet on set let's get it in this take this time camera rolling audio
1: speed and marker ucap disclaimer scene 23 take four and action
2: so we came across this video on the internet that shows Dave stealing an airplane and going joyriding.
3: <laughs> cool, <laughs> David. Where did you in, find in this? PT, PT nineteen to tr-
2: PT nineteen. I, you know, actually. I, I so I watched this video again this morning and it doesn't impress me. It's just like wrong. All right. Has everybody watched this video? I... Yes.
1: Where he dumps himself out at the end. Well, first of all,
2: here's the thing that bugged me most of all, all right, you know, because I can accept the fact that nobody really flies this way, all right? You know, because that's right. what they do in the movies. It's kind of a stunt and they kind of show him flying uh-huh. low and bouncing off the ground and all that kind of stuff. All right. Here's the part that bugged me. What bugged me was he never strapped his seatbelt. All right. Uh-huh. He I'm never put that, on man. he never put any belt safe belts on at all all right yet he, he never
1: did, strapped his helmet on
2: right he did lose right. you know and so I'm watching he did this kind of barrel roll thing I'm thinking okay because you could conceivably not fall out of the airplane in the barrel roll but then he was like inverted for a little while so that's the part that bugged me I don't know why I was worried about the reality of this but it just annoyed me
3: now, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm looking 44 seconds into it he put the helmet on but he didn't strap it down yeah well so right. anyways was it is that at all interesting what, what is what is this from
1: it, oh, I can't it's read tough because it's in. I think I thought it was Portuguese, hun.
3: Oh, yeah, really? It is. It's from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from Brazil. Oh, okay. Ah,
2: okay. Okay. All right. So uh, beautiful PBY. That was nice. That uh, the. Uh, I think that's what that was, right? Catalina was that uh, the amphib that uh, he formed up on for a I, few minutes. And...
0: I, I'm not. I haven't gotten that far. Okay.
2: <laughs> you're daring to he, watch it on your internet connection this morning. You're. you're, you're I am. I am. Brave this album. I believe that's
3: yeah. a, I believe that's a PBY.
2: Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. And uh, I'm trying to get hooked up to work on the PBY that they're restoring at Sanford. And uh, I talked to the owner of the FBO at Oshkosh, and he gave me the names. And now I got to track these guys down so that I can go and volunteer to be, you know, he just sneezed. Yeah, that's right. That's right. As everybody knows, sneezing will throw an airplane
0: into a spin. Oh, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. It'll just totally ruin your whole day. That's that's why um, um, we all take you, aspirin.
3: You've never heard about the air show pilot's allergy syndrome?
0: Thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when all is
3: said and done, when all is said and done, so the
2: guy, like, finally decides he's going to get out of this airplane by strapping on the parachute that was there all along. and uh, And then doesn't simply jump out of the airplane decides to crawl around on the wing for a little while.
0: All right. And there's a rip in the fabric on the airplane. Do you see that? There's a oh, little seam. Yeah, uh, I missed yeah, that. I missed that. It yeah. shows the cockpit, and there's a rip in the fabric just below the windscreen on the port. I'm sorry, on, on the starboard side, and yes, that's a PVY.
2: Well, oh my goodness, how did he ever fly that airplane with such a damage to it? Uh,
0: it,
3: um, it, t- it tickles me. He climbs out of the aft cockpit. Uh, then he, uh, lays down on the wing, takes a look over it, and goes, I'm not jumping out of this sucker. Tries <laughs> to crawl in the front of the cockpit when it rolls over, that, that, it rolls back up. He decides, oh, on second thought, I'm going to jump anyway. And then he pinches his nose like he's about to dive into the water. Yeah.
2: Well, that was the joke. I think, yes, it was like, here we go. Yeah. But you know, when um, all is said and done, I didn't really particularly worry about the guy. All right. But I was really concerned about what became of the airplane and they well, never showed us that and, so, I'm sure there was a guy in the know, front. Don't oh, shit, I yeah. guess. I mean, you obviously know what happened to it. It's but, uh,
3: it's, it's, it's actually it's actually uh, uh, sharing a room with Thomas the Tank Engine and San José dos Campos. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh yes, man, was that,
0: that was that's
2: too early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, in the category of stupid pilot tricks, and and this is just an even <laughs> stupider story than than his. You know, you know, TSA just brings out the best in us. That's what it is. Um, so <laughs> we have – I was going to say, and I'll correct myself in a second. We have another uh, Cessna 150, which has wandered into uh, Washington's airspace this past week, uh, a student apparently who got lost and uh, caused a foo for and uh, scrambled some F-16s and whatnot. And, and you know – I, well, the, I, I put this on the list originally just as it stood, all right? Um, right. Just to right. kind of bemoan the fact that here we go again. Uh, another yeah. non-threat has, like, scared the crap out of some what? people who don't Run understand. for your lives. Yeah. And uh, and the stories all talk about the student, and they talk about, you know, and my, my thought from the very beginning was who was a CFI and how much trouble is a right. CFI in. Was, apparently, this student was on a long cross-country and got lost. Um, but then Jeb discovered the really interesting aspect of
0: this. Uh, Jeb, what is the interesting aspect of this? Well, the interesting aspect of this is that um, although you know students are students and pilots are pilots, um, airplanes are airplanes. That's right. And um, in this instance, the airplane involved in the, in the most recent episode is the same. Airplane yep. that was involved in a in a rather infamous incident from May 2005. Um, the one in 2005 uh, had uh, was uh, uh, the airplane got even closer into the proscribed airspace around DC. Um, there were evacuations of the Capitol and and uh, the the uh, congressional office buildings and and all of this kind of thing. It was a quite a big deal, and in fact, this was the one I believe. With the two guys um, who were flying out of Smoketown, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. um, and um, they were on their way to some air show in North Carolina or something. And just kind of blundered through, you know, the D.C. area, uh, blithely unaware. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, it's the same airplane. It's the same airplane. So here's the story. Here's the money quote from the CNN.com story. Okay, it says the Cessna is owned by the Vintage Aero Club, based in Smoketown, Pennsylvania. Contacted by CNN on Tuesday, John Henderson, one of ten members in the club, said, "Oh my God! <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I hope you're wrong." You you know,
2: it's like, I mean,
3: I'm saying. Oh, man, we're in trouble now.
1: Oh, man. Oh, and, and,
3: and in another shadowy, spooky repeat of 2005, former Vice President Dick Cheney was again moved to a
0: security
3: <laughs> <location>. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. I
1: think it's just the airplane. Probably there's an the autopilot I think the, bug in there. Uh, well, yeah. No, you know. A, the story doesn't go into this but
2: yeah no well i don't know if there's a ghost this story in cnn also doesn't go i reiterate my initial question which is who's the cfi here
0: and it would be something if it was the same cfi that Uh, would be well I, i if it's the same cfi i suspect he won't be one for much longer yeah
1: yeah, no, I think uh, but, that guy is retired. <laughs>
0: yeah, actually, the the previous episode it was a rated pilot and a and a student or a fresh po- private pilot or something. Uh, so there wasn't really a CFI. Oh, it involved, wasn't training. I, I thought think.
2: the earlier one was training as well.
0: I and I don't think so. I think it was a, a cross country gone awry. Okay. Um, I think they were actually trying to travel somewhere. Um, but uh, Cessna 150, November five eight two six Golf. Um. Someone should, you know, affix a plaque yeah. to this airplane <laughs> uh, for for the future, so that it should be placarded.
2: Uh, flight into the Washington uh, airspace, not yeah, that's approved, right. right. That's yeah. right.
0: And, uh, well, are, are commemorating these events? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so that the value of this airplane, the the, the history of this airplane, uh, can be recognized uh, in the future. Um, my I guess my question would be, since you know third time's a charm, who's going to be the lucky schmuck to do this the third time in this airplane?
3: Well, I heard through the grapevine that the, uh, the owners of the aircraft are already making plans if the airplane has three more intercepts by military,
0: just <laughs> to paint a Blackhawk on his eye. It,
3: they're going to give it five F sixteen silhouettes and call it an eight. Yeah, I,
0: well, that's that's what they should do. They they should you know paint a you know a symbol of the Capitol dome or or you know an F sixteen or something. That, that, that's yeah.
3: Well, outstanding, I just outstanding, yes. made a
2: decision. I'm going to put. Uh, I'm you know I, I have I have uh, FlightAware set up, Jeb, so that I, and again I always wear. I just it bothers me, but it's there. I confess that every time jeb you file a flight plan i get a little email saying that jeb's airplane has (laughs) filed a flight plan i'm going to put this tail number into flight aware i'm going to get emails every single time this flight this airplane flies or files a flight plan because i want to know in advance next time
0: well in all in all seriousness um pity the poor students um don't know what happened uh somewhere in a uh, in a news story on this, an FAA official was quoted as saying that the student quote got lost in the clouds yeah, quote, <laughs> and okay, fine, I can understand. I mean, I mean, those of us who have who have you know gotten to the the um, solo cross country phase, um, all understand how stuff happens on on in in such flights. But um, it would be just incredibly interesting to know. Where the original plan was to for this student to go, what training and what briefing and what flight planning he had done, and, and this kind of thing, and how all of this went awry. Yeah. Uh, and I think finally we should all pass the hat and ship in, uh, and to buy this flying club a moving map GPS. First. Oh my <laughs>
1: god! In yes. Please. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, uh, it
1: would it would save our taxpayer dollars. Uh-huh.
2: It would be interesting uh-huh. to know what what long cross country plan was made that took him yeah. this close to this airspace. He, you yeah. know, now where is um what's this town again? Uh,
0: Smoketown, Pennsylvania.
2: Is Smoketown, Pennsylvania within the um, yeah. the area that requires the special training? No, it's it's outside of it.
3: Oh no, it's way outside. Yeah. Okay.
2: So this was just yeah. a major. He really got lost in the clouds.
0: Well, basically. you know, I don't. I don't. Again, I don't know where he was headed. For all I know, he could have been headed to Poughkeepsie. Okay. Um, and, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and forgot to set the DG before he left the ground. But you know, yeah, somebody
3: remi- somebody put a compass in there from a 1963 Ford Bronco, and it right. turned around.
0: It reminds me of the old joke about the student pilot calling, you know, "Help! I'm lost! Help! I'm lost!" And the controller's calming, calming him down, and and the controller says, "Well, you know, the last time you knew where you were, where were you?" And the student says, "Number one for takeoff." <laughs> 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 and I, I, you know, I, again, you know, the guys. I'm sure the student um, just feels terrible, and and I'm sure he's been talked to, and. And I hope he, um, I hope he has the gumption to or he or she, I presume it's a he, but I hope uh, he or she has the uh, the gumption to uh, continue with his training, um, uh, because you know stuff happens, and and this is not necessarily the student's fault. But I, I I'd love to have a beer or two with the instructor.
3: Yeah, and uh, if you look around some of the uh, some of the military surplus websites, you can find some chaff flares uh-huh. uh, <laughs> to keep handy in that 150. That's right. Uh, Just just in case.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned that early Bonanzas and and many other airplanes perhaps, but certainly early Bonanzas. I've I've
3: flown a Bonanza. I
0: know where you're at, that that model. Had a flare uh, installation, there were some commercial uh, regulatory requirement. Hang on a second. Um, There was some commercial requirement back in the 40s, maybe in the 50s also, uh, for commercial airplanes to carry flares. The idea being that uh, that they would use these flares at night in either an emergency situation or uh, when um, um, runway lights at the destination airport had failed, they would eject these flares uh, to illuminate the runway and make a safe landing There was a rack of flares mounted behind the uh, in the tail cone just after the passenger compartment um, and um they would eject uh, the port side of the airplane um, out into uh, in the slipstream, and little little parachute flares. There were a rack of three of them well, that could be actuated from the pilot seat, and it was just it's just absurd. Well, we need more of that, though.
2: This is days. yes, this is the, an aviation procedure that uh, straight out of the federal government. It's uh uh-huh. I don't know. Uh-huh. Anyways, all right. Well, good luck to the student pilot. Uh, uh... we hope he hangs in there if by the incredible long shot he's a listener check in we want to hear how this we, we'd
0: out. love to hear and, and, and you we, know anonymity is assured and all that but we'd love to hear more about yeah. this and if and if any of our listeners happen to be um, uh... at smoketown or in that area and know anything about this operation or this airplane or or you know what the local uh, intelligentsia has had to say about any of this uh... please chime in uh, uh, we'd love to know about it. Yeah, Although on both sides of this thing, intelligentsia was not one of the bigger factors. So, Hey, you know, I'm sure, you know, I, those of us who have never gotten lost on a student cross-country, raise your hand.
2: Uh, this no, I and the student is the least of my of my uh, you know the people I'm singling out here. Uh,
0: yeah, no, uh, I understand. Yeah, you know,
2: between the CFI and the crazy security regulations and the whole thing, it's just there's not a lot of intelligence involved in the whole thing. No, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Welcome, folks, to uh, episode 151 of Uncontrolled Airspace: The General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode on uh, Saturday morning, August 29th, two thousand nine. It's pretty early in the morning. We're all it's I don't know whether you can hear our voices, here. but uh, we had a little scheduling snafu again, my fault again, and uh, everyone was very, very cooperative and and uh, and flexible. And uh, uh, the upshot Sleepy. is, The upshot is, it's uh, it's just after seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. So uh, uh, we're we got but we've got together here in the virtual hangar. And it's not a it's not a line ease, It's more of a Dunkin' Donuts uh, episode. This time around and uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the uh, virtual hangar one of those voices out there is jeb burns burn see it's seven o'clock in the morning i want to put a d in there for some strange reason every now when i'm sleepy or something jeb i'm not going anywhere close inside talking to us from somewhere near sarasota florida hi jeb how are you this morning i'm fine if, if this is episode 151
0: where is my little rum drink with the, with the umbrella in it
2: you, it would have been a perfect one for us to do
0: at nighttime a little irish coffee been. thing it's going just, you know it's it's way too early in the morning for something like that. Uh, I, I'm well, Jack. I hope you are. And, and uh, yeah. Good morning, uh, yeah. good day, good evening uh, to uh, all of our listeners. And, uh, so what's going uh, on? You were, uh, speaking
2: of flight-aware snooping on your private life, uh, you were flying recently. <laughs> How did that all go?
0: Yeah, I, I went up to Georgia to the family home last weekend. Um, got positively assaulted by thunderstorms going up. Oh, yeah? Um, oh, going up? Because I saw yeah, them you, on the way back. Yeah. Uh, well, the coming the get back wasn't all that big a deal. Um there were a couple of, of lines that I was able to just kinda of carve an alley right between and, and scoot on to my destination. But uh, going up it was there's this triangle between Tampa, Orlando and Gainesville. It was just filled with lines and clusters and, and you know, a paragraph on the back of each one. Um just uh, <laughs> uh, all over the place. It and uh, it was you know, I woke up that morning and, and um it was a severe clear sky. It wasn't a, it wasn't a cloud in the sky. And, uh, I, I get ready and pack and, you know, run the METARs and TAFs and okay, fine. You know, it's, it's August, it's Florida. There's a chance of thunderstorms. Gee, color me surprised. And, um, launched out of here, stopped at my favorite gas stop and topped off with really cheap, Hunter low lead and launched out of there, headed North. And it was like, wait a second, where'd all these storms come from? And, um, um, worked with ATC and, and ended up filing, air filing an IFR and, and scooting off to my destination. But mm-hmm. uh, um, it was busy.
3: Yeah, It did came you, from the group W bench. Did you? Just- I, that's right.
1: Listen, you- I I got chewed out on Sunday for storms that that that's not what you said it was going to be <laughs> oh, really? in exactly the same place, Jack. Uh
2: huh. <laughs> well, wait, wait. you got you got you said there were storms and somebody chewed you out or.
1: Well, I said that there is some stuff building over by, you know, Winter Haven to Sarasota uh-huh. area, but once we get south of that it'll be fine. And in fact, mm-hmm. that was pretty much the way it was, but what it ginned out to be was it had morphed into a whole line of storms that was in uh-huh. the triangle you describe. Um right. and by the I mean, and this is the 15 minutes it takes from that last oh, look yeah. to getting airborne. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. this stuff popped. And, uh, you know, I'm climbing and going, yeah, well, this isn't going to work. And then going back down <laughs> again. And, you know, uh, it, it, same deal. You ended up coming right up to it and just running the edge of it and heading as mm-hmm. as much south as you could go. I was coming from Orlando. I had uh, dumped the last of Leah's stuff to her because, you know, it doesn't all fit in a Hyundai. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, that yeah. voice. What time of day? What time of day was it, Amy?
1: Uh this was
0: noon, ish. No, I was, I was, I was noonish coming through there. Um, last Sunday also southbound. So yeah.
2: hmm Yeah. And that that voice is uh, Amy Laboda, who is. Oh, uh, well, I presume you're in Fort Myers. Are you as that? I am in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, down there, also in thunderstorm country. Um, how you been doing? What's going on? We haven't talked to you since uh, since Oshkosh.
1: Yes, and I went straight from Oshkosh to Africa and back. So that's right. You Africa did go you just, and back.
2: Oh, we're gonna have to talk about that in a few minutes here. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, done any fun flying? You see, you just implied that you were flying to drop off some stuff for your daughter.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd call it fun. It it was fun, actually, because <laughs> I hadn't flown the RV 10 most of this summer. As you guys know, I was flying the Kit Fox all the time, but not the RV 10. And uh, yeah, I had to hang on to my eyebrows there and remind myself <laughs> of how a fast airplane goes. Um, but I had my trusty husband next to me going, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> spouses are useful like that. Yeah, That's right. It's what you always need. A- <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, I'm thinking about this. So we we always talk about the fact that two pilots in an airplane is one of the most dangerous things you can do. If one of the, if the two pilots are also spouses, oh my goodness, that just Does that make it yes. better or worse? Have you guys figured each other out or 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 is it even worse?
1: Uh, I would say that it has its moments. But in general, we've <laughs> been married for, I think we're going on 23 years now. So I think we've probably figured it out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, if you were going to kill each other in an airplane, it would have happened by now, probably.
1: Oh, know. yeah. Well, in his defense, I flew like stink, you know, because, <laughs> because the, you got to, Put your brain from going 80 to going uh, 180. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's an adjustment. Yes.
2: And also here in the hangar this morning, of course, is Dave Higdon. Uh, and uh, on the road this morning, Dave is talking to us from a kitchen in New Albany, Indiana. Hi, David. How are you doing?
3: Oh, uh, really good. Got up in time to uh, go to a local C store, pick up some donuts, watch the sunrise. Uh Take a look at the the weather map for some stuff that uh gonna be doing this afternoon and uh any minute now. I'll be awake. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh,
2: hope,
0: hope springs eternal on that.
2: In planning for this episode, I sent out our, my routine little, uh, what I call the wake-up call email last evening to remind everybody that we were supposed to get up early this morning. And then I, I got up this morning around 6 and found an email in my inbox from Dave saying, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be up. I've set all the alarms, but Jack, could you just please call my cell phone at 6.30 this morning just in case? And so I did. I gave the But he was wide awake by the time I called him at 6.30.
0: And, uh, As a backup, I called him too just in case case because I, I didn't see any acknowledgement from you so, oh so i see you know, and yeah. you know, i don't know what's your i don't know what your morning habits are uh you know hey we've never slept together right? so
2: you were so, no so <laughs> uh not that we've ever agreed to tell anybody about um but
3: uh, but i did hot cot the same room
2: tmi 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 um I forget now. You say you've completely blown away. Yeah, I discombobulated <laughs> him completely. Um, no, okay. So you were concerned about me not seeing the email and not being up in time. For all,
0: for to- all I know, you get up at a quarter to seven for one of these things, you yeah. know. And and I didn't want Dave to oversleep. And, you know, Dave needs his his um, his uh, right. preparation. Okay. Uh, so but I didn't
3: I got, want him. I, I got a solid four and a half hours between. Uh, leaving uh, steiner steiner's tavern last night and and, uh getting back here to my buddy tom's place Uh (laughs) and uh it's really restful four and a half hours of sleep
2: yeah just about the right amount not yeah so amy you were in you were in africa tell us about that what was was that all about What, what what happened
1: we, uh, I actually went to attend the first Women Aviators in Africa conference, and i got to tell you, it was wonderful. It was in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and it took a long time to get there, but uh, I did go and take a break in England for one day on the way in. Um, very smart move. Should have done it on the way out. Uh, and there were some terrific people there. There were 50 people there air traffic controllers, some of the um, women who actually work on the equipment that air traffic control uses. There were helicopter pilots. There were airline types, uh, regional airline types. And um, what was really inspiring about this is most of the women in the room were the first at what they had done, the first women, particularly Uh the first First, black women who were in their positions in their countries. And what was even more interesting is most of them were under the age of 30. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I just keep
2: hearing pe- about people visiting Kenya these days. Kenya, it, it seems to, not to, I, I mean this with total respect, Kenya's kind of a happening place right now. And <laughs> uh, um, tell me about what it's like there.
1: It is. um, Nairobi is your typical, I I would say, upscale third world um, city. About four Mm -hmm. million people. uh, Definitely has the slums that you have come to expect in all the best places like Mexico City and, uh, you know, Guatemala City and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Yeah. Um, Rio, you know. Um, but at the same time, it has some very, very upscale areas because, of course, it's the capital. So you've got um, Embassy Row. You've got some, some um, very modern shopping malls. Uh, you could get free Internet, you know, by sitting at the coffee shop, just like anywhere else in the world. Um, and at the same time, I think there were four traffic lights in this right. town wow. yeah. of four million. They do traffic circles. Uh, they drive on the other side of the road, to put it politely, with the, with the steering wheel on the other side of the car. And they kind of move through these traffic circles with a kind of a herd sense mm-hmm. or like fish with lateral lines. Okay. They, yeah. Yeah. Now... I believe that they probably run into each other a lot just from the condition of most of the vehicles. But <laughs> no one hit our driver <laughs> while I was in the car, although I was absolutely convinced many times that we were about to be crushed between two much larger vehicles as we we moved through these, uh, these traffic circles. The, the traffic was horrible. Now, I did spend a lot of time at Wilson Field, which is their general aviation and light um, commercial aviation field, and I can tell you it's a hop and joint. Yeah, absolutely a hop and joint. In what way? Um, well, there's a lot of traffic. There's twin otters uh, with big UN on the side. There's, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not Kenya Airways, but Air Kenya uh, runs twin otters to Mombasa and points beyond. Uh, it is the king of the caravan land. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um but I can also tell you that there was a ton of of light business jet uh-huh. operation going on. Citations and and hawkers and falcons and you know that there, there was a lot of activity. Got up to the tower and met the tower controllers there. Um they have a nice uh A combination of old school with the strips and the telephone and the big punch pads, and then a really nice repeater screen of the radar from Jomo Kenyatta, which is only four miles away, Mm -hmm. their commercial uh, large international airport. So they did a terrific job, and I got to go fly in a 150. With uh, my instructor Dennis. Uh, Now
2: that's my next question. Um, Is there much any um, personal aviation there? There's
1: a ton of personal aviation there because the country's a pretty good sized country, and um, the roads are really. They would say they've come a long way. I'd say they have a long way to go in terms of safety on the roads. Uh, for instance, to get you to slow down as you're going through the villages, on mostly the roads outside of the capital become dirt very quickly. There's a couple mm-hmm. of paved trunk roads, and they're pretty rough going, even still. But what the villagers will do to slow you down is they put boulders in the middle of the road. So they force <laughs> you to zig and zag around these boulders as you go through the middle of town where the geese and the goats and the cows and the kids are, well, the buses don't want to slow down, because he's clearly making money on how fast he gets from point to point. That's the only motivation I can find. So you get these diesel buses running these obstacle courses at 45 miles an hour. Whoa.
3: (laughs) That sounds like more fun than watching old school buses do demolition derby on
0: Saturday night. It's it's more fun than watching me land.
1: Now have one of those behind you. (laughs) In your rearview mirror, you're watching it come at you. (laughs) Anyhow. uh, It sounds like a
3: plot from a Stephen King novel.
1: It had moments. Um, I had a a really good time. I was there for about a week. No, I didn't get to go on any safari. Um, I didn't really get out into the countryside, but I met some absolutely fabulous people. Um, They're very political there, as you might imagine. Um, they're in a power-sharing situation between the two parties, um, and there was a lot of violence around that negotiation. So, if you're thinking it's a really stable country, the answer is mm, right now. Uh huh. It's, but but it simmers. You can, you can feel it simmering beneath the surface, and there's no way you can get in a conversation that doesn't involve politics. And um, Hillary Clinton was there while I was there, and she gave the ministers at the government a pretty good lecture um, about corruption in politics and power sharing and the smooth transition of governments. And it was really interesting to listen to the Kenyans talk about themselves in uh, relation to that after that that lecture. Hmm.
2: Very, very interesting. That's very cool. Are you going to be writing something about this?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, absolutely. It will make its way into my writing. There's no question about for, it.
2: For, for, for uh, Women in Aviation or for one of your other books that you write for?
1: Oh, I definitely have a couple of uh, pages worth of pictures and some good information uh, is already up on the Women in Aviation blog, uh, WAI Connect, which you can get to off of the WAI.org homepage. Um, there's pictures on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, Women in Aviation International, the official cool. Facebook page, which you can also get to from a link right off our homepage. So, uh, yeah, take a look. I had a chance to visit orphanages, had a chance to uh, do a Young Eagles type flight with orphans um, who had never been to the airport, much less in an airplane. Wow. Cool. Uh, that was really exciting. And they also uh, participated in our conference. I have not met such well spoken. And uh, and and really focused individuals who were teenagers in a long time. It was wow. it was really pleasant. Very neat, very neat.
2: Um, David, you <laughs> uh, you posted a you put in our list here a a, a, a reference to a great uh, uh, video, a collection of uh, of shots from uh, Kaitak Airport. Oh, yeah. And uh, what uh, I think I know what prompted you to put this in there, uh, other than the fact that it's just some cool aviation video. But uh, w- what were you thinking? What's going on here?
3: Well, uh, for for those unfamiliar, Kitek was the uh, primary airport serving Hong Kong for about seven decades. And its position in relation to the city, which is between some mountains and a bay, uh the, the the relationship of the airport uh was just fine and no big deal when you know airplanes cruised at eighty knots and landed at fifty and uh they only needed a couple of thousand feet of pavement but as aviation grew up moved into the jet age faster heavier longer range uh and instrument approach work came along, getting into chitech. Became something of an interesting uh, procedural challenge, for for lack of a better way to put it. And at the beginning of the video, and I encourage you to look at this video, beginning of the video on Kitech, it shows the approach plate for getting into the airport. Take a good look at that. Pause it. Take a good look at it and then watch the remainder of the the remaining three and a half minutes of video that's on this. Uh, these guys are flying toward a mountain, getting closer, lower, over the city, over the big buildings. Then they're making a hard turn to line up with the runway. And it's a pretty hard right turn and they roll out and boom, they're there. Uh, getting into Washington National. Uh, from the north has, has an element of the same thing in it, except there you're avoiding the, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency facility and staying over the Potomac River so you don't violate the White House or run into the USA Today building. Uh, and uh, it's just a hell of an illustration of pilots really working their machines to their maximum to accommodate the conditions and, and arrive alive and have the airplane still usable, uh, and you know this is everything up to and including 747-400s that are yeah. doing these, lo- you know, relatively at low altitude, rather relatively high bank angle, uh, very quick turns to align with the runway. It's just really entertaining to watch these guys because. Th- None of these are on the flight director kitties. These aren't on the autopilot. (laughs) They're not turning the heading bug going, Oh, that looks about right. Uh, you know, they've punched off the autopilot and one of the two flight crew members is hand flying that puppy right down to, and through the, the flare. Yeah. Uh, and and just really dramatic. Very dramatic. And and not only
2: is there that dramatic turn, low-level turn at the last minute to get lined up, <clears throat> excuse me, lined up on the runway, but um oftentimes when they finally did get lined up on the runway, they found themselves in a really stiff crosswind. So, uh, um there's there's a couple of shots there. One one that I think is kind of notable. I've seen a lot of different times of a 747 um touching down with a really uh, dramatic crab angle, somewhat reminiscent of our of our uh Experience with the uh, the uh, A380 recently, um, but uh, pretty cool stuff on that video. And, That's and- all
3: right, that, that, I basically put this up there to, to kind of inspire folks to remember that you know even the big birds will maneuver at your command if you put enough Armstrong power behind the uh, horsepower uh, to make it do so. Yep. Yep.
2: Take a look at those videos. We'll put a link in the show notes to, to that, uh, that YouTube video. So, Amy, you were telling us that there was a, a story in some magazine or someplace uh, about RV-10s that uh, has a problem. What's going on?
1: Well... Yeah, actually, it's 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 a very nice story. Don't misunderstand me, and it's got a great sidebar of flying to Oshkosh uh, with Dick Van Gruen and um, in in his airplane, and that's wonderful. Um, the problem came up on the Metronics list when someone looked up um, Doctor Peeler's N number in the FAA registry and discovered that actually Dr. Peeler, despite uh, what he said very pointedly to um, to the author, Dave Hirschman, uh, in the story, which is I didn't build this airplane and I don't presume to try to maintain it, um, is that the name on the airworthiness in the data plate is Dr. Peeler's.
3: Oh, uh, okay. Uh-oh.
1: Which means that he signed an affidavit to the FAA that says he did build the airplane.
2: I see. Hmm. So Now, you mentioned that there's there's a bunch of controversy on the net or something about this? Well,
1: do you understand what the problem is? The problem is he has a sworn statement to the FAA that he built the airplane. And in the story, he told Hirschman, I did not build this airplane. I bought it. From the builder, and I don't maintain it. Yes. Okay. I, I understand that,
2: what, he's, that he's he's made some conflicting statements give, here.
1: What happens when you give a sworn statement to the FAA that turns out not to be true?
2: Uh,
1: well, we got, got a, we got a little bit of
0: a
2: we got a little bit of a he said he said thing. Um, and you know, why does he? You know, he was just he was actually deceiving the reporter, not the FAA.
3: Oh no 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 no.
2: No, I'm no, no,
1: no. afraid that's not true in this case, Jack.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. But that's what he's gonna say,
3: right? Well,
0: well that's what
1: his lawyer will say yeah, if he's smart.
0: I guess that's what I'm getting at, yeah. 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 Um ha- has he said anything um publicly in response to this discrepancy?
1: I don't think he's had a chance to yet. Um the story just came out. And uh so it's in the most it's- recent edition? It's in the most recent edition, but the airplane was at Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. Um, what
0: publication
2: is this? Was this in
1: AOPA Pilot?
0: Okay, yeah, I've got it right here.
1: Yeah, and, well, and it's, at, it's, it's, nice, it's a nice article. looking airplane. It's looking a nice looking. Looking at the article
3: here on the web, the version <laughs> on the web says Peeler, a physician. Mm-hmm. said he doesn't have the time or skills to build an airplane like the RV-10, which requires at least 2,000 hours for a veteran builder to assemble. But he says he complies with the letter and spirit of the regulations by using his, by only using his aircraft for private, non-commercial purposes and hiring professional mechanics to perform the required inspection. Now, I haven't seen the print version, which could well differ from what I'm saying here. But uh, if he had told Hirschman... That he didn't build it, and then his name is on the type certificates on the data, and he's got a repairman certificate in his name. Somewhere there, like Amy said, he signed a sworn statement under penalty of perjury. Perjury be a felony, felony be jail time, and mm-hmm. there's no probation f- from federal felony charges. That means you serve the time they give you. Uh, if in fact that bears out that he didn't build it, but he signed the affidavit saying he did, so the certificate's in his name. Uh, that he 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 could be looking at some interesting times ahead, and 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 I would hope that, like most smart pilots I know, he belongs to the AOPA Legal Services Plan.
1: Well, <laughs> the real the real tragedy here is yeah. he just made his airplane into a boat anchor. Um. Well. Yeah, yeah that, I mean that, um,
3: that that's another tragedy but this is not this is not you know that, this is stupid I mean Gemini Christmas uh the whole point of the experimental amateur built program I mean you know this better than anybody as we know is to encourage tinkering experimenting and and, and the, the joy of creating your own flying machine that's uh, why the FAA has been on this uh, little bender about re-examining the the content of the advisory circulars and the regs surrounding uh, uh, the experimental amateur-built ticket, because we had an industry growing up of shops building airplanes, bringing the owners in, getting you know a few days of photography done, showing them at work bucking the rivet or turning the screw, or wiring a connector, and then signing paperwork to saying that they'd built it when, in fact, all they'd done has been a model.
1: Yeah, right. it's it's really tragic because it is exactly the reason why the FAA is going out there trying mm-hmm. to change the rules. Yeah. And, and what's so upsetting to me on a certain level is AOPA Pilot is working really hard to try and do something good and show a really yeah. beautiful rendition of an experimental but they really didn't do their homework and this well, is all public record
0: yeah and that's, uh, uh, that's, that's, uh, the, that's the trick i mean the, the faa is going to want to look at, at logs and, and build I mean, builder logs and and things like this and um, um it's they're also going to want to find out you know who did the inspection who who's the inspector that did the airworthiness certificate inspection on the aircraft etc cetera, etc cetera. um some unfortunate quotes in there um, um, it'll be interesting to, uh, how and whether this this falls out the timing is is um, not good because uh although we've seen indications that um, the uh FAA's ongoing um Policy revision associated with the 51% rule uh, might be working out. Uh, that's not locked in the stone, and this is not going to help. Uh, and
3: uh, somewhere out there, there's a builder. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, actually, he's gone now. The person who actually built the airplane is, oh, you know is, has died. Yes.
3: Really? I'm I was, I was just going to ask: when you say he's gone, you mean he 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 died? Yes, but that's probably going to save him from prosecution.
1: Yes. Well, actually, you know, he didn't do anything wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't think the builder is really going to be at fault here. It's 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 what happens with the paperwork and and who's taking the responsibility. Well, unless kind of the builder
2: thing. built it knowingly for money.
1: Well, but the problem is that's not even no. illegal.
3: It's not. No,
0: it's not. Really. No.
1: Yeah. And and, what's, and what's, here's the legality
0: where, comes in and, yeah. in certificating the airplane. Yeah, building an airplane is not illegal. I can go out and build an oh, airplane. I see what right you're saying. Yeah, if okay. I want to try to fly what, it, that's all done. Right. What
1: what okay. it's not is it's not within the spirit of the rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's problematic, but it's not illegal. And this is where EAA is working very hard to to discourage those kinds of programs that are not within the spirit of the rule. Now, that's not to say that Star's two-week-to-taxi, where people are actually there and they're actually building the whole time for two weeks. They're in there, okay? That could be construed as being within the spirit of the rule because those people are really there. They're really learning something it's making the airplane safer because it's being being built in a in a factory standard you know conditions and and it's standardizing the airplane so you can go out there and you can have a fleet that's reasonably standardized which is another problem of the home built world mm-hmm. is that every one of them's custom um in a certain way if they're built individually in an individual situation um so so I'm not denigrating anything like that, but what I am saying is there have been these pockets. Um, there's one in Ecuador uh, where they're manufacturing airplanes and then falsifying records to basically lose their liability. Yeah. Because you know, you're the manufacturer, you have right. the liability.
2: Right how how ser- so the, in in the instance of this particular non builder um the f a a is going to treat it in a particular way because it's be- it's notorious now, but my question is that as sort of a run of the mill thing how seriously does the f a a take these kinds of things do, they, do
1: very, they very seriously if they can catch them
2: so yeah. do they have people who are actively searching for these these situations
1: okay so how many people do they have all told do you know i don't do you the FAA? Do it, yeah, the FAA, how many aviation safety inspectors do they in fact have to do everything, cover not everything? Nearly, not nearly, not nearly enough, but the problem the, the
0: problem, the problem yeah. is when when evidence like this surfaces kind of blatantly in in, in public eye. Yeah, well, the, um the FAA is 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 going to have to in do some level of investigation in they, response. They they'll
2: find a Oh yeah, in body.
0: this particular
2: case, yeah, this guy is going he's kind of a Yeah. In jam. And,
3: and, and 800 Independence Avenue in Washington, D.C., where the FAA is headquartered, I know for a firsthand fact, has a lot of pilots who belong to AOPA mm-hmm. and get their magazine at yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you throw in all the FAA people and all the other facilities around the country. Uh, you know, by the time this has had enough time to get dog-eared in the bathroom, this issue – Magazine issue. There's going to be a lot of FAA people who know about this.
1: Well, more than anything else, it's going to like bring Jeff it forward. Said, they're going to
3: act on it. They they can't ignore this. No, it's I don't gonna, think that it's
1: going to bring the 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 problem right back in into mm-hmm. you know the the full sunshine of day again. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah again.
2: Well, here's hoping that Hirschman was recording the interview with this guy and uh, has good notes because that's the first thing that the guy's going to say is that's not what I told him and Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully this doesn't boomerang back on Hirschman you know it it, it it kind of amuses
3: me it's like some of the television and radio talking heads these days who will deny saying something that they said on tape a day or a week earlier vehemently Yeah, really agitated and then you play them the tape and they go well that doesn't mean anything well, oh, this is going yeah. to mean something.
2: Yeah. We'll have to see how this plays out. It will be interesting. Following up on a story that we talked about a while ago, I, you know, and I don't think this part of it came out before. This is just a little tidbit here. I just wanted to throw this out here. All right. Um, some episodes ago, we told the story of the uh, 17-year-old uh, young pilot, uh, a young girl, young woman, uh, who uh, was flying a friend to who was also a student pilot or who was a student pilot. Let's see. The 17-year-old girl was actually a private pilot. She was flying her young friend, who was a student pilot, to, I guess, to get his checkride. And they had an engine failure, and she coolly landed the airplane off-field, and everything was great. All right? Um, I came across another copy of this story and I was rereading it and I found this quote that I didn't notice before that I just thought is just a great quote. 17 year old girl, she says, the quote is, I felt like freaking out, but because of my training, I knew I had to land the plane and we could freak out later, she said. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I just thought, that's great.
2: That's exactly the coolness I hope I can, 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 can you Well, know, and, and, and that's up exactly
0: why we do this training. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to freak out. You want to just say, "Okay, I'm done." You know, teleport me out of here, Scotty. Um, but um, you don't have that opportunity. You need, still need to fly the airplane, and, and that's part of our disclaimer at the front of every episode. But um, at the same time, it's true, yeah. and that's why we do this training. That's why it, it's it's uh, uh, important to understand uh, the the um, uh, the options you have and the flexibilities you have, which are substantial. In an engine out situation, so um, hats off to her again and and I think this 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 quote as uh, Jack has highlighted, is uh, uh, both very descriptive but uh, works on several different levels
2: yeah yeah, it really sums up the the state of mind that you need to expect uh, when when you get into this situation and
1: uh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly yeah, yeah. Well, so. then,
3: you know it, in, in, no matter how well they prepare us that two-hour crash course they gave me on Freakout 101 didn't really properly prepare me for the actual adrenaline overdose that comes on the backside of one of these. Yeah, well,
2: there's that, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So, so this is. I just need to do a little rant here. All right, this is like, right. and this is an old story. Uh, this is not a new story, but it's become very kind of close to home for me the last week. Um, oh, up here, up here in Greater Boston, <laughs> up here in Greater Boston, we suddenly have TFRs galore. All right, we have. Um, We've got one that was somewhat notorious that we saw coming, um, which was President Obama was going to go on vacation out in Martha's Vineyard. And we knew some time ago that there was going to be a week-long TFR that was going to basically shut down Martha's Vineyard and everything within 30 miles, which is a pretty big circle. And we talked about this TFR, I think, last week on the podcast and how they would kind of tried to make some some changes to make it a little less punitive. um, But uh, it, it still is a TFR. Um, And that even with the 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 adjustments, that one was annoying me. But I figured, you know, beat your head against the wall. Just it's not worth it. All right. But then, um, sadly, uh, Senator Kennedy died uh, last week. And um, suddenly there is a funeral going on here in uh, in Boston uh, today, as a matter of fact, Saturday. And the president is coming over from Martha's Vineyard to uh, to attend the funeral. And suddenly, with like virtually no notice, two more TFRs have popped up in the greater Boston area that are centered now on, on Boston's Logan Airport. And... Uh, it just kind of reading all these TFRs and getting these notices in my email from AOPA and and just kind of thinking about it and and and, and you know unfortunately it isn't affecting me because I wasn't planning on flying into any of these areas but thinking about all the people that it has affected has just got my blood a little little boiling here all right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and and the thing that annoys me most all right I was, so I started reading it, yeah I, I've actually s- sat down and was, was reading the text of this TFR all right, right because I was curious about something and it turns out that I was right all right and that is that the these TFRs are designed to to put limitations on all the things that have never ever been a threat and explicitly not put limitations on the things that have been known threats in the past. All right. You thank, are
1: absolutely you correct.
2: All right, you, and, are you know, you got this TFR. Because the thing that really caught my attention was that this TFR, this new, these two new TFRs, are centered on Boston Logan Airport, a big class Bravo airport. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, does that mean that the airlines can't fly? And so I'm, and I'm thinking, of course, that's not, that can't be the case. Well, but I'm wondering is, what the th- what's the language here that what's the exception
3: all right you know well and there's an exception there's a difference here based on how the uh, the, the lovely folks at the TSA, and I'll avoid my, one of my usuals here for the moment the tsa has uh, uh, imposed on the commercial airline industry since its creation since actually before its creation those guys already go through criminal background checks. They already go through fingerprinting. They're vetted. They've got security briefings. They have, you know, double secret passwords to getting into places that us great unwashed have not been covered by in the past because, as we correctly insisted, we're not a threat. We don't need to. And in the creeping security theater nature of the uh, uh, TSA, they've been trying to backdoor this through things like airport-specific badging programs and the large aircraft security program proposal and so forth. But part of the difference is that the airline pilot out there flying 121 and 135 has already been vetted to a large degree by a security apparatus that GA pilots have not. That's why commercial flights have always been exempt from these TFRs.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it goes a little bit deeper than that. If you... <clears throat> If you look at some of the fine print on on these TFRs, and I will admit to not having read this one, but basically what it says is that any operator who is already participating in what the TSA calls a standard security program, uh, which could be 12.5, it could be um, um, something else, uh, whatever, uh, as long as they're already participating in such a standard security program, they're basically exempt as long as they continue to comply with that program. Um, the um, um, on one level, Jack, and please don't take this personally. I'm kind of happy. Oh yeah. Okay. To why? see to see other areas of the country. Oh yeah. Get these TFRs. Chicago, New England, Martha's Vineyard, whatever. I'm kind of happy to see them get these TFRs so that they get to a, a taste. Of what those of us who, in my case, used to live in the washington d c area have been having to live with uh for going on nine years now
2: yeah
0: um, it is it is total blowing snow, it is totally out of control, and um, no one gives up flying. Well here's whatever. what I want to know is about there... uh, trying to really fix it and 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 do something that is not as, as disruptive. look at at these poor people over on the on the space coast. Uh, oh. here yeah, in Florida. another
2: another really good example the, absolutely uh, yes. the,
0: the, 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 and, and admittedly there's you know some some good reasons for some of uh, certainly better reasons for tFRs associated with shuttle launches. Then there are, I think, um, um, these these security TFRs, but the, the space shuttle. I guess it finally blew off about midnight last night. Um, for the last week or so, they've been trying to launch the shuttle, and there's one problem after another, whether it's weather or mechanicals, et cetera, or both. And they've they put out these TFRs. And they get down to the short strokes on, on launching this thing, and there's a problem. So they cancel the launch, and then they cancel the TFR. Well, by this time, everybody's plans have been screwed. And there's like, there's like 15 airports, uh, some of them fairly oh, substantial. No, no, no,
1: no. General, it's almost 30. Is it it's almost, almost 30? thirty? I was, I was
0: I was being conservative. Yeah. I was being yeah. conservative. But you're, but you're right. Um, the space shuttle is a
2: is a different kind of situation because it's not yeah. security. It has to do with a more practical thing. Maybe it's too restrictive a TFR, but that's another another conversation. That's another issue. You know. But the but security I, I, I,
0: again. I, I'm I'm happy to see this in, on a level because it uh, more and more people get. To expose to this insanity, and eventually we're going to rise up and smite somebody. Yeah, well, this, as we should have done a long time ago.
2: Here's a very practical example. Out on Martha's Vineyard, there's a cool little air. There's there's two airports on Martha's Vineyard. Two public airports on Martha's Vineyard. One is sort of the the municipal airport, um, and the other is a little grass strip over near the beach. All right, the guy on the beach gives biplane rides all right it's a big part of his living all right giving biplane rides well for this week at the high point of the season at the very end of the summer all right he's out of business for a week all right yeah and 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 so my question is is there any room uh in the system in, in in the legal system for someone to file a lawsuit against I don't know TSA or somebody saying that that these regulations are unfairly targeting only a portion of the transportation system all right um and and it's just it's unfair it's uneven it's unequal you know it's and,
3: it's absolutely possible and I mean can we get, who, who can we get behind this been you know considered, uh you know torch one oh one. You can sue anybody for anything at any time. Right, but we need a big group. Whether you prevail is another story. Right. Uh, But when this madness first started back under some other administration, uh, there were people discussing that very thing on uh, the basis of uh, an illegal taking Mm -hmm. under condemnation law that basically the uh, government was illegally taking legitimate use of property and legitimate revenue, albeit only temporarily. Every time they put up a TFR and shut down a flight school, a banner towing operation, a sightseeing tour guy uh, like the one you're talking about. uh, The feedback that came my way from some of the alphabet groups was that They didn't really think that they were going to get the traction with that angle that they needed to. And they didn't want to take this on head on through a lawsuit because they didn't want the TSA's answer to be, sure, we'll just get you in a security program like everybody else and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so see,
0: that's, that's that, that part was of going the to be their response, answers. and the court
3: yeah. would say, oh, well, there's an opportunity here for you get the same treatment as everybody else. Why don't you just join up? And nobody wanted to go through that. So we've got one of those instances there where the big, brave, and bold alphabet groups eh, kind of get a little bit more uh, deferential in how they fight with these things, preferring to take the back door approach, the lower key approach, uh, you know, things like logic and facts, and hope that that sticks. Now, we know that that didn't have a lot of traction for a number of years. Uh, As I said last week, I think that we're seeing some small evidence of it having a little more traction, uh, at least with somebody at DHS, in the access options that were made available, For the uh, Martha's Vineyard TFR, this time, for people to actually access the inner 10-mile ring. That had not been available before. Yeah. Uh, You know, they they had to stop and get checked out at a gateway airport, and then they'd be allowed in on an instrument flight plan or with special code given to them at the gateway airport. But that door was always closed before. I'm sure, there's been progress, stuff. but it's still nuts, you know. So the poor it's blip, still nuts. It's still
2: nuts. I think the biplane like, guy's got a lawsuit, yep. and he just needs some deep pockets organization to back him up. All right, um, because because the because the biplane guy, who's never ever been hinted at being a threat, is shut down for the week. At the Ryder Truck office is still doing business just fine. Right. All right, right. You yeah. Know? And. And and that's the un, that's just a very very you know blatant example of the unequalness here and I'm going to end my rant if you guys want to wrap it up do so but
0: uh, I, I, the only thing I would say is is um the, there there are myriad reasons um, the alphabet soup over the years uh, has refused to uh, or I won't say refused has declined the opportunity to to make some of this a big deal. There's, I think they didn't um, want
1: to. They didn't want to be perceived as un-American in the beginning. Well, you know. that's early on. I mean, that was, that of was
0: part craziness. of it. You know, er, early on, I think um, um, the Alphabet Soup was counseled by um, people they, that whose opinions they respected, to you know just you know go along with some of this for the you know good of the country, good of the outfit. Uh, down the road we'll start tweaking this and we 'll fix it and and everything will be okay, but you really don't want to make a big deal about this um, we'll We'll work with you, et cetera et cetera well um, at, at early on uh, and i i don't i don 't know if that was good advice or not, but early on, that advice was accepted yes. um, and that has kind of set a precedent uh both in the mindset of of some of the alphabet soup and um among the general public and certainly among the government bureaucrats that this is the way it is. Um the problem as I see it is is two or threefold. One, um as Jack has correctly pointed out, and as we have talked about uh in the past, and, and I've kind of basically summed it up as saying uh... the day after i have to have a background check to rent a rider truck i'll shut up about some of this stuff okay? but until then there's still a gross injustice being done to this industry and to extremely innocent participants uh... throughout the country secondly and perhaps more importantly uh... as as we've also talked in the past there's a mission creep element to this uh, within the TSA. Um, they are are striving almost daily to expand their, their reach and their authority over um, transportation security in this country. Um, the security theater that we all have to go through uh, to board a scheduled airliner um, is uh, a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. There are many, many other more effective and less expensive ways to ensure the security of commercial uh, aviation. Um, Non-commercial aviation has never ever ever been demonstrated to be a security threat to this country. Um, The TSA itself has said that the risk is minimal and the the costs of additional regulation and additional security um, are not commensurate with that risk um, it is time for us to rise up and smite them down and I'm with do you, man. away with this amen and 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 and, and move on to to uh, other things i i think that um There was a a fairly interesting article, Um, Patrick Smith, who is an airline pilot and writes for uh, um, Salon.com on occasion, wrote an article uh, this last week, it appeared yesterday on the web, uh, talking about uh, TSA uh, insanity, uh, mainly at the commercial level. Uh, really didn't even f- in explore at all the uh, the insanity involving TFRs and uh, um, TSA's increasing uh, mission creep at, at, at general aviation airport, but there there uh, I'm not saying we're at a tipping point. I think we're actually far from a tipping point, but um, um, the mortar is being chipped away, and the bulwark of of TSA's lock on some of this. And people are, are really kind of fed up. Here's here's just a, a generic question, uh, a rhetorical question I'll throw out there and before I shut up. How long has the aviation sector in this country been at orange alert? Yeah. A long time. A long time. And, and when will we come down from that? And uh, it, the whole thing is just—it's uh, it, preposterous. Is—is is, I think the my favorite word to describe it. Uh, and the so, the sooner we do something about this, it's collectively or individually, the better off we're all going to be. And I'll I, shut up.
2: Uh, I know I started this rant, but uh, we should probably move on. D- uh, Dave or Amy, any last thoughts there?
1: Uh, I, amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm with him.
0: Okay.
2: Whose dog? Say hi to the dog for me. Who who which which that's, one of you doing? I'm sure on that's
0: on, on Dave's end and I'm I don't know if he's muted or or I'm sure he's doing something with the dog right now. So
1: No, actually it's it's mine. It's yours. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Well who's so, mid- so, Introduce that's, us to your dog.
1: That's midnight. Midnight come here. Yeah, she says, Uh I'm not coming. You what told me shut up. I'm She's a she's a mutt.
3: Midnight's looking at you going, she's talking to herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's clearly not talking I, to me. I,
0: I'm a dog, and I know better than that.
1: <laughs>
2: <clears throat> hey, um, since we have a CFI in the house uh, today, I wanted to kind of go back on a, a subject we talked about uh, over the last couple weeks. Um, and that regards the this whole um, LSA, uh, sport pilot rather, uh, training logging Mess as I ah, characterized yes. it, um, Amy. Wh- I wondered if you had any thoughts on this whole subject. Um,
1: well, or- yeah, actually, my my big problem is that they did something very interesting. They, the FAA, did something very interesting when they grandfathered in uh, light sport CFI's. Okay that yeah. wasn't me that was higman okay uh <laughs> um but but what they did is they brought them in they were ultralight instructors and now they are light sport cfis they can only teach in light sport aircraft in particular they actually have some um restrictions on which category of light sport they can teach in um and, you know, there's powered parachutes and there's uh, trikes and, and a fixed wing. So, you know, there's a lot of different different kinds of light sport. What the FAA doesn't want to do, though, is count towards a private pilot any training that you got from one of these instructors. Right. Because they don't feel that those instructors on a certain level, despite the fact that they certified them as light sport instructors, just like I'm a CFI and I can also instruct in light sport, uh, they they don't feel like they're qualified. I, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Yeah.
2: So do you think it was a conscious th- um, decision on the FAA's part to, to, uh, to not count? These folks training hours, um, because reading the and the uh, reading the uh, the uh, inter- interpretation that FAA sent out a couple weeks back, um, it almost sounded like they sort of got caught in their own little trap and they forgot to reword. There, there's there's pre-existing wording that talks about what kinds of hours can count towards the private pilot. Somebody
1: and it, somebody did that very deliberately. Now, they okay. could be covering their tracks by oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. somebody somewhere there early on said, yeah, but these guys weren't trained the way we like to see a, a CFI trained, so we're not going to count their students' hours towards mm-hmm. a, a a real pilot. Yeah. Here's my question. I think. I, think, I mean, this is me. This is yeah. me throwing that out there. But I really do think that somebody wrote that very deliberately in the beginning. Now they may be covering their tracks now, uh, but I I gotta tell you that there is a perception of a difference between those flight instructors. I'm not telling you that's real. Okay, please don't yeah. misunderstand me. Okay? Yeah. Well, here's
2: one very practical difference. Um, so I was talking with my friends up at Southern Maine Aviation um, uh, last weekend, and uh, as I've Said in the past, they are a very active LSA operation and sport pilot training operation, and I asked them um, whether or not they had any CFI. I guess it's determ- the terminology is a CFI SP um, mm-hmm. on their staff. All right, and they said no. They they kind of sadly shook their head and said no. We actually decided early on not to um, mm-hmm. have any uh, of that flavor CFI on staff because they initially talked to their insurance people uh, about the subject, and the insurance people basically said your premium is going to be a lot higher. If you have, uh, if you don't have full-blown, forgive the term, yeah, on, but
3: on, on the basis of no actuarial information whatsoever, the insurance yeah, right. yeah, industry yeah, exactly. always, always, right. always right. knee-jerks things right. up yeah. just in case. Yeah. So well, and they'll they'll start to dial it back down to something more realistic. If if in fact, as we expect long-term, the the the, the data show that uh, you know LSAs are not some. Severely crazy, big potential problem uh like they feared it might be.
1: Look, it's, it's infinitely safer for you to get training from a CFISP who specializes in the arrow or whatever that's got totally different kinds of c- flight controls or in a trike than to get it from me, who yeah. really has very little of that very, very light aircraft well, experience. You're, and you're, so... You're, You know, I don't understand what they're thinking. Let me ask you a
0: question here, Jeb. go ahead. Well, here's my ultimate question about all of this. Um, To get a private certificate in this country, uh, one has to pass a written exam. Mm -hmm. One has to go through various levels of training and and gain various levels of of, uh, solo experience. And then one has to go for a practical test with an examiner. Yes. Um, as long as um, he or she achieves a certain level of competence, he or she is granted and, and is able to demonstrate that competence, he or she is granted a certificate. What difference does it make to the FAA how that experience and how that competence is achieved? Apparently
2: it makes uh, a difference.
1: It makes a lot of difference, Jeb. Why? It's the reason why you can't teach somebody how to fly but I can. i not. I understand that
0: part, and, but, and but, I understand but, the need for a, for a, a CFI to do certain levels of training and to to sign off uh, and and to endorse that student at various levels of his or her career. Uh, at the same time, yeah, I can go out, and I can train somebody. Um, they still have to check the boxes, um, but I could probably save them a bunch of money. You could probably save them a bunch of money uh over the over the their, their, their training career. But the punchline is as long as those boxes are checked through their, their training career and as long as someone signs them off for the check ride and they convince the examiner that they are qualified and experienced enough to hold the privileges of a private pilot, um who who cares?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You say that, but you know, you're messing with people's job security jet. Why do you think the rules were written the way they were? And how long ago were those rules written? <laughs> Here, here's the thing. I don't the for rules... a
0: moment think that the flight instructor organizations in this country have enough horsepower to, or, or enough foresight to have tweaked these rules in this fashion.
1: No, they did not. But the rules were written in their favor many, many, many moons ago. Well, we're it, talking about rules written in the late 40s.
3: Here's right. the thing. And, and tell me where I'm wrong here.
1: Oh, but, you're wrong, Dave. It, you're everywhere Everywhere
0: you're wrong. There's the sport, hardly
3: a question that you're wrong. Is, yeah. Does the sport pilot student learn a different set of rules about using the airspace that they're allowed to use than a, a, a yeah, conventional actually. student pilot? No. Wait a minute. Let me finish. Then a okay. conventional pilot, do they learn a different type of pattern work? Do they learn yeah. that they have special pattern altitudes? Do they have different procedures, I mean other than differentials that are aircraft specific, uh, are they granted a special use airspace only for sport aircraft? Yeah. No, it's the same air, it's the same regs.
2: Yeah. And in fact, I think I'm I'm reinforcing Dave's point when I say that that it, it it's arguable that that the the. That the part of the training that the CFISP is allowed to teach is, in fact, the most challenging part of the training because you're actually right. teaching people the basic flying skills. You're I te- agree. You're teaching them the four forces, you're teaching them how to take off and land. You know, you're, you're teaching them the hard part. You know, I mean, the other part is complicated, but it's not the basic harder, rule, I would argue. basic
3: rules of the road, and then you've got that little restricted area that you're allowed to fly in unless you gain additional training and a sign off. So here's my question, Amy, because I'm honestly unsure of this. Mm-hmm. But isn't a CFI SP also authorized to to give us a, a, a sport pilot that additional training that lets them go into special use airspace like Charlies and Bravos, I and can't lets them go that longer across countries? I believe I, they are. I don't believe you have to go to a different to. instructor. Yeah. Well, well, in which case the the the, the question come to me comes for the FAA comes back to What's the real difference here? It's, right. There is none. Yeah. It, it's, is none.
2: I, it's either political or a weird, unfortunate loophole. I don't know which. And, and, and uh, second,
3: let's remember here that what we got out of what Tim Kearns, bless his heart, extracted mm-hmm. out of the FAA Office of Legal Counsel mm-hmm. is an interpretation of what's written. Of course. It could have very well been interpreted the other way if somebody hadn't had their head in a deep dark preparation H area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we better
2: start wrapping this thing up because we're we're starting to run out of time here. But um
3: put a bow on it.
2: Yeah, well we got a couple other important things I wanted to talk about. Um Amy, did you know Vicky Cruz? Amy, I did. T- I did. Tell us about Vicki Cruz.
1: Vicky was was such a focused and and um competent person and it really breaks my heart and 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 i say that i mean she was fun to be around but she knew exactly what she wanted to do she wasn't distracted by anything it felt like and she was very good at what she did mm-hmm. very very good for those and, who
2: haven't been following the story vicky uh, uh tragically was killed uh, last week uh, when her aerobatic aircraft uh, Crashed uh, in, uh, in someplace in Europe uh, as part of an aerobatic competition that was going on. And uh, yeah, tell us more of it, uh, Amy.
1: And and it is. It's really tragic. She she was a U.S. aerobatic champion. Um, she made the team. She went over to United Kingdom, and uh, it looks like it was some kind of mechanical failure. But I cannot tell you further than that what happened. But uh, she had taken leadership positions, uh, including president of the um, International Aerobatic um, Association. She she had really really been she she lived at at forefront of the sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: she Mm -hmm. really lived. Vicky Vicky and I first met. uh, Wow, when before she had really been introduced to aviation. She was uh, uh, romantically involved with a long, old-time friend of mine, who kind of introduced her to airplanes and air shows, and I mean, the the immersion type of introduction, not the uh, "Oh, hi, I'm a pilot; love to take you flying sometime." Mm -hmm. Uh, Helped her get her first introductions into aerobatic flight. Uh, You know, sadly, they married, they divorced. She went on, he went on, uh, and she grew from this lovely young lady to an even lovelier young lady pilot. Uh, she was very quick-witted, uh, very, as Amy said, focused. Uh, and it, it always impressed the hell out of me that she took the, the introduction and the social aspects and turned him into such a, a, a well-refined set of flying skills that she rose to the ranks of American aerobatic pilots as she did. Um, been a few months since we last saw one another, and uh, she was really fired up about the International uh, Aerobatic Championships and, and talking a little bit about the challenges of getting a team, getting a team funded, getting the team over there. uh and when the email popped in and then I saw the newspaper article last week, I, I, I was pretty much exactly like Amy. I, I, I just didn't have words to to go with uh, uh, how heartbreaking it is to lose her.
1: Yeah, it is. It's terrible. And this isn't the first one this summer. This is the second yeah. one this summer. Um, yeah. 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 It, it, it's really heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. One one uh, uh, somebody whose whose opinion on these matters I respect uh, posted to an email list uh, uh, on this uh, earlier this week. Um, someone had someone also on the list uh, had had made the comment that you know aerobatics is so dangerous, and um, this individual who's an experienced uh, um, aerobatic uh, competitor as well as an aerobatic instructor. Had had calmly and rationally written back. Said, you know, look, aerobatics uh, is is no more dangerous or or uh, uh, no more dangerous or risky than uh, any other kind of flying. Um, what's dangerous in aviation is hitting the ground. Yeah, it's um, a sudden <laughs> the, the sudden stop is what does the sudden stop at the at the end of the flight is is what's dangerous and. As long as, whether it's, it's cross-country work um, um, at 10,000 feet versus scud running, whether it's uh, doing barrel rolls at 5,000 feet versus 500 feet, um, there's nothing intrinsically dangerous about um, aerobatics um, versus many other kinds of, of general aviation operations. Uh, but there is an element of risk associated with them all. And in, in this instance, um, all evidence points to a mechanical failure of some type on her airplane, not some um, intrinsic problem or uh, intrinsic risk associated with aerobatics uh, or, or um, her skills or her experience. It's, it's one of those unfortunate things that happens in, in many different endeavors humans engage in, whether it's uh, uh, water skiing, taking a shower, or watching a thunderstorm. yeah, yeah. And uh, it's very sad and unfortunate, and um, she will be missed.
2: Yeah, it's very, yeah. very sad. I feel badly that I never met her. She sounds like a fascinating I, person.
0: I do, too. I do, too. Yeah.
2: Shoutouts. Um, I've got a couple here, and you guys may have as well. First of all, very quickly here, um, I need to eat some crow here. Um, over recent episodes, we've talked I think about... I, I think I do
0: too, actually.
2: ...about <laughs> Apollo 11 and the uh, the infamous quarantine tunnel. Um, we originally reported that we remembered there being a tunnel that the astronauts had to pass through, and a listener then filled us in that there was in fact no tunnel, even from the very first moon landing uh, recovery. Uh, and uh, at first we took that, and then we then we kind of said, well, we're not so sure but uh uh, we thought thought maybe the listener was confused then i went out and did some research and i have come to the conclusion that in fact there was no tunnel um there maybe was a tunnel prepared to be used maybe they had talked about using the tunnel but they never in fact used the quarantine tunnel and so my apologies to the listeners who set us straight but we didn't believe them uh that's all Jeff, you, you too,
0: huh? <laughs> No, I, I would, that's, I would that's echo... That's called
3: a uh, you a cup culpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I, I would echo Jack's comments. Um, frequently... Um, I can speak for myself here. As I get up in, 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 in age, uh, up in years, frequently various memories start to collide, <laughs> and yeah. uh, um, perhaps that was the case in this instance. In in any re- respect, however, uh, we were incorrect in our uh, in our statement, and we do regret uh, any confusion on the part of our. It
2: listening. was, though, it, by the way, the only time in three years we've ever been incorrect on this podcast. So
0: um, <laughs> there is that. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this about that. That was Jack Hodgson who said that. <laughs> and if there are any re- repercussions from his recent statement, they are all on him.
3: Jeb's, Jeb's talking about memories colliding. That's what happens when there is so much space in which they can rattle around.
2: Ah, okay. Yes. Alright. All right. Hey, David, have you ever actually been to College Park Airport?
3: Oh, yeah. Tell oh, us about yeah. it. Uh, just a, it, it. It's a lovely strip. Uh, it's where uh, it's where America's military aviation started to take root, thanks to the Wright brothers. America's civil aviation started to take root. Uh, it's right there inside of the. Don't dare go there without passing all the all, all the checkpoints, dotting all the eyes, causing yeah. all the T's, getting all the special checks, fingerprinting, vetting, and ground background checks today. Uh, but once upon a time, it was you know. The easiest way out of Washington, D.C., basically, uh, and uh, not very far from, uh, from the uh, uh, nation's capital. Uh, I'm talking about the building specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, where a lot of members of Congress used to go to get a little flying fix. Yep. And it just celebrated. It it it's too complicated to do that now
2: this year in 2009 it's celebrating its its 100th birthday uh it is uh the longest continuously operated uh, airport in america with and yeah. nearly the oldest airport in america uh, there weren't many airports prior to that i guess um it was also a site of uh, what is arguably the very very first air, uh flight training uh when uh, wilbur Wright gave training to uh, military officers and uh um, quite a place I've never been, and uh, I, it's been on my list for some time. It's just not part of the world that I get to in small airplane. Excuse me, I, personal I think it's airplanes.
3: it's Very remarkable testament to the management there that uh, you know, going on, uh, going on, uh, eight years after 9/11, and being where it is, that they've managed to keep the place uh, uh, more or less intact and operable. Uh, and I hope they get a good crowd they 're celebrating their hundredth anniversary this weekend uh wish wish we were there
0: yeah. one one item real quickly um uh in um and not to disagree with with dave but uh the um, yeah there are some some um i 'll call them obstacles to um c- uh, committing general aviation in the washington d c area um, you, you have to be fingerprinted. you have to have a background check there 's some time and travel involved and and uh, uh, a, a couple of dollars involved once all of that is is accomplished however, <clears throat> um, the uh, actual act of committing general aviation in the washington d c area um, can be accomplished with with uh, uh, not a whole lot extra drama um, right. those who who might be listening. Uh, and um, uh, live in the D.C. area and uh, have for one reason or another uh, over time decided not to fly or decided not to pursue flight training, um, please uh, don't use the security uh, um, restrictions in place in D.C. as an excuse. They are workable, they are They are. Um, um, I won't say they're reasonable but they can be uh, dealt with um, um, without a great deal of um, additional drama, and um, it's, it's, in one way it's kind of gratifying that uh, you, you can come out of the process with the United States government's official stamp of approval that you're not a security threat. Uh, on the other hand, it's kind of gratifying to be able to do things and fly into places that very few of your, your fellow uh, air people, uh, air women and airmen, can do. So if, if that's a reason somebody listening to my voice has decided to retire from flying uh, because they live in the Washington, D.C. area, that's a bad reason. There are, there, there are other things that you can hang your hat on for not flying on a regular basis. That's not one of them.
3: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: So as I mentioned, I was up at uh, Sanford, Maine last weekend for the uh, light sport Aviation Expo uh, that they held. Uh, Sadly, the weather kind of uh, uh, knocked it down a little bit. Um, The weather was beautiful at Sanford um, both Saturday and Sunday, but there was weather both to the east and west of us, and so a lot of people were unable to get in there. Uh, But there was a handful of us there, and we were all talking LSAs and sport pilot and aviation in general. It was a lot of fun. While I was there, um, a gentleman walked up to me and said hi and introduced himself as a listener to the podcast. Uh, and I wanted to kind of send a quick shout out to him. He uh, goes by the name of Fran San on the uh, in the forums. Uh, he's from Spain uh, and he's here in the U.S. Uh, he, we didn't go into much uh, detail about exactly why he's here in the U.S., but one of the things he's doing while he's here is is uh, taking sport pilot training. And uh, we were talking. Cool talk- for him. Yeah, he was telling yeah. me a little bit about some of the hoops that he has to jump through. He's uh, filed all the paperwork with uh, oh, his TSA uh. and trying to get all these approvals and so forth and got fingerprinted recently. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I was listening to him to tell this story and I was sort of asking him some questions, thinking that this is just a terrible situation that we put people through this. He was actually very philosophical about it and seemed to think that it was going to work out no problem. It was just a little bit of a speed bump and uh, um, it would be worked out pretty quickly. So uh, he's getting ready to start his sport pilot training uh, up there at, uh, at uh, Southern Maine Aviation. Um, he did tell me one interesting story he has actually been on the ground at uh, that the Gibraltar runway that we talked about a bunch of episodes ago this is the uh, the infamous airport that has a major road that goes right across the uh, middle of the runway Gibraltar and, uh, Gibraltar right yeah and so he was telling me a little bit about that he said could on the podcast we were wondering how far in advance they get warning that airplanes were mm. coming in <clears> so they, how much time did they have to stop the traffic and so forth
3: well when the when the little you may cross now Sign changes to don't walk.
2: Yeah, well, he tells me that the airport is actually not all that active an airport. Um, he, he says that there's little or no GA uh, at that airport. It's all scheduled airlines and, and not that many of those. And so there's plenty of warning. They know exactly when they're expecting aircraft. Um, so that they are able to lower the gates and stop the traffic. One interesting thing, apparently there's a vehicle that um, when they close the gates, there's a, I don't know, a bus or a truck or a van of some sort that goes up and goes along the uh, the crossing and collects the pedestrians that are straggling, all right, so uh, to kind of clear the the, uh, the pedestrians off the uh, runway so that it'll get clear in time. But uh, he was
3: – and I urged He said he was going to they, tell they, – They take all the fun out of it.
2: I know, man. It would have been – yeah, I know. <laughs> but he – he, he said he was thinking of, uh, of uh, posting some of this stuff in the forums, and I urged him to do that. So keep an eye on the forums to see if uh, if uh, he does that. Yeah, and he I tells had a whole story. Billy
3: Bob Thornton moment flash in my mind thinking about those pedestrians walking across the crosswalk just as a 777. Passes overhead and lands in front of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh well, that's another. Day. I don't know. Yeah, I, guess I don't so. get
0: the Billy Bob
3: Me neither, but
2: reference. But. We could be here all night. Uh, yeah,
3: <laughs> movie. Check out a movie called Pushing Ten. It's. Uh, oh sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Never
0: mind.
2: <laughs> One last thing on my conversation with listener Fran San uh, just a to toot our horn here for a second he told me that uh, he said he said to me I came up here to uh, Southern Maine Aviation because I heard about it on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast so uh, so uh, we. we just, See, people are learning about things on the podcast and, and acting on them and starting their flight training. and.
0: Uh... Hopefully, they're not learning about and acting on tunnels associated with the <laughs> oh, Apollo God. 11 flight. But, uh... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Any other shout-outs? Who's got a shout-out? Amy, uh, uh, Dave, I've, Jeb? Go ahead. Jeb, Amy, go ahead. Amy, Jeb, go ahead. I've got one real quick when, when everybody's finished.
1: Okay. Go ahead, Jeb. Yeah, you oh, can okay. go now, Jeb. Um, Uh,
0: Lee, we're talking about um, um, College Park, Maryland Airport, and uh, um, celebrating their 100th anniversary and whatnot. Just a a quick shout-out to Lee Sheck. I'm I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. Uh, But Lee is the airport uh, manager operator at College Park. Uh, He's been around um, a long time, shall we say. Um, He... um, uh, like uh, Stan Fetter at uh at Hyde uh airport uh in Maryland and uh, um, I can't uh, um, Wartofsky uh, at College um, Park, uh, uh, the other at Potomac airfield yeah Potomac. thank you no uh uh at, at Potomac. Um they have been uh, managers uh of of those different facilities uh... for a long time uh, both before during and after uh... nine eleven and um, uh... lee in particular has uh... Um, had the right attitude if you will uh, about some of this blowing snow that uh... he's been forced to deal with over the years and uh... he's he's made a go of it Um the college park airport i won't say it's thriving i won't say any of these airports are, are thriving but they're certainly still in business uh... and uh... Uh, Many of the reasons they're still in business is because of the dedication uh, and the love for aviation of of people like Lee. So um, that's kind of my shout-out for for the week. Um, um, uh, Doing an excellent job under some of the most adverse circumstances imaginable.
2: Amen. Amen. Amy, you got anything?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, I wanted to remind people to go over to WAI.org. Do you know we have 57 scholarships? Really? For what? For For uh, aviation of any kind you can think of, from dispatcher ratings to engineering scholarships to uh, type ratings, and even, you know, private pilot rating scholarships and uh, sport pilot uh rating scholarships, recreational, uh you know, what do you want to do? Kinda of, kind of stuff. And um the deadline for our applications is November twentieth, so Okay. Ne- it's time to great. it's time to pay attention. If you know you've been, we, we were talking earlier about how much does it does it cost to get a private pilot certificate? Sounds like a lot, but the reality is that these days um, you're probably going to spend somewhere close to five thousand dollars. So don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Go apply for a scholarship yeah. if you qualify. That you know? sounds
2: great. And I would imagine the site includes uh, information on how to apply and all that. Kind
1: oh, of stuff. absolutely. Absolutely. Not only how to apply, but how to win. And uh, you can download the applications, everything you need.
2: Awesome. Awesome. I'll go go check that out. I could use a a scholarship. Yeah, that's right.
1: David,
3: what you got? Uh, Just a real quick and dirty to Bruce Landsberg and and our good friends at the uh, Air Safety Foundation there at AOPA. Uh, For any pilot who's been out trying to transition through busy airspace, get in or out of a Bravo's airport, uh, or just suffered through waiting to make a call behind some guy that he's not sure what he's doing with the airplane and he's really not sure what he's doing with the radio. Mm-hmm. The Air Safety Foundation has created an online course uh, to help teach Communication skills for pilots, how to use the radio, how to sound sharp. Personally, I find it really helpful to sound like I'm an old grizzled Part 121 driver coming across from the you know, the, the Japan run,
0: When, when in, reality, down you,
3: in October. But, when in reality,
0: uh, you're just old and grizzled.
3: Just old and <laughs> grizzled, that's right. So with apologies to David Sedaris, here's your opportunity to talk pretty now on the radio.
2: <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, let's we'll take a look at that. Hey, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. We uh, we've overstayed our welcome here. Over. Yeah, that's right, overstayed our welcome. Amy Lobota, thanks for being with us. Amy is a uh, freelance aviation, aviation. – I can't even talk today. It's just so sad. Uh, is a freelance aviation writer, and uh, and she's also the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you and your magazines on the Internet?
1: Uh, we can be found at WAI.org and AFWdigital.org on the Internet.
2: That's great. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet?
0: Well, my day job is uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. That's Aviation Safety Magazine all one word. Um, and uh, my personal website is jeburnside.com. Uh, occasionally, I'll uh, pop up on avweb.com, and occasionally, well, I have actually a regular gig also with uh, Aviation Consumer Magazine. I, I write some stuff in the back of the book without, sometimes without a byline, sometimes with. But uh, uh, aviation ma- or aviationconsumer.com is the uh, website for that. Dave Higden
2: is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and is the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where are you on the Internet?
3: Oh, avbuyer.com, davehigden.biz, aea.net, uh, or just Google Dave Higden and weed out the golf writer and the theoretical physicist.
2: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks to uh, many people who help us uh, with this podcast. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes at Scoffery in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use at the beginning of every episode. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't even need to be very much, but just 5 or $10 over the span of the of a year is a big help. And uh, we might even be able to get Jeb a good internet connection if we've got <laughs> nickel, enough nickels and dimes there. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the forums. Check out the wiki, the aviation movies list and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Hey, David, what were you going to say?
3: Live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, folks.
2: That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM.